thank you for joining us for this podcast from Abundant Life. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this word. Now, here's Pastor Scott. I want you to listen to the word of the Lord in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I believe most of these verses will be on the screen this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 9. The Apostle Paul is writing and he says, Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia and Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you when you come, for he is useful to me in the ministry. I want to speak to you this morning from a sermon titled, Failure Doesn't Stop You from Being Useful in Ministry. Longest title possible. I want you to hear it again and think about it, though. Failure doesn't stop you from being useful in ministry. Would you pray with me? God, thank you that we don't have to give up on serving you because we mess up. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for new mercy every day. Thank you for anointing, God. Thank you for your tender compassion and your love, your grace, your forgiveness, God. I pray, Lord, that you'd anoint me to say the things today that you'd have me to say, God. Please give us ears to hear your word today, Father. I pray you'd speak a fresh word today that would increase our faith. Lord, I pray that you would bless this church and bless this community, Father. Bless this hour now as we look to hear your voice in Jesus' name. Amen. Failure doesn't stop you from being useful in ministry. Now, some people have already caught the spirit of what I'm going to say and are feeling blessed and encouraged by it. Others haven't, and some people don't desire to be useful in ministry at all because they think that's what they paid a preacher to do. Let me remind you that ministry is not just what happens inside the church. More ministry needs to go on outside the church than goes on inside the church. This is an encouragement time. This is a learning time. This is a celebration time. We come together on the first day of the week instead of on Saturday, as God's people came together on Saturday for thousands of years. We come together on the first day of the week because it was on the first day of the week that Jesus rose from the dead and the apostles began to gather on that day to celebrate resurrection. So when Easter rolls around in a few months, a lot of people will come to church celebrating resurrection, but Christians come to church every Sunday morning to celebrate resurrection. But this isn't just ministry. Ministry isn't just teaching and preaching. The real definition for the Bible word ministry is meeting needs. And everybody that's a Christian is designed by God according to Scripture to do the work of ministry. Everybody needs to be doing ministry. You may not have a church title. You may not have a business card that says something about what you do in the uh, kingdom of God, but you ought to have some level of servitude. Opening a door and holding a door for someone is ministry. You see somebody walking up to a door. I'm thankful that people still stand in the door and wait on an old man like me to get to it before they release it. Because they could just easily let it go. Smiling at somebody when you pass them, if you do it as as a good person with a heart toward God, is ministry. Because the world needs to see somebody's happy. We live in a time of horrible political unrest. This election, I will be so glad when it's over. I don't even care what happens. If they suspended it and didn't have it, I wouldn't lose any sleep over it. But I just, political people are like, Sir, you need to vote. I'll vote. Listen, uh, I don't feel great about it, but the nation is so hurting, uh, and, and it seems like everybody's just trying to separate, and everybody is trying to divide us. We need to be ministering to each other with smiles and encouragement, chest bumps, fist pounds. We need to be happy when we see somebody. You need to call somebody, send an email to somebody, text somebody, PM somebody and let them know God still loves you and I do too. It's going to be all right. Jesus hadn't jumped off the throne and forgot about you. Is that all right with anybody? Ministry is what we need to be involved in. But here's where the church, the institution of the church, the, the, the operation of the church, because we learned from the nursery rhyme in nursery school that the church isn't the bricks and the steeple, it's the what? 
It's the people. The church isn't the building. We're the church wherever we go. We come together on Sunday morning in this place. We call a church to fellowship together. But the church organization has messed up a lot of people by casting scorn and shame and blame on them because they weren't perfect. I got a news flash for you today. Extra, extra, read all about it. Hot off the press. Still accurate today. God don't throw his kids away because they mess up. God had never thrown the baby out with the bathwater. And your lack of perfection should not cause shame on you. See, there should, there should be conviction on everybody. The Bible says God sent his spirit into the world to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So the Holy Spirit, one of the primary jobs of the Holy Spirit is to be that siren you hear in your head, that alarm you hear in your heart. When you're about to do something that God doesn't want you to do, you ought to have some uneasy on you. That's the Holy Ghost. That's conviction. Now, if you call yourself born again and you don't get that uneasy on you, you better check something. That's like saying, I love my mama and daddy, and, and I always want to make them happy. Listen, if you really love mom and daddy and you're about to do something in their house that wouldn't make them happy, you hear the voice in your head. You better not do that. See, God put his spirit on the inside of us to convict us. Now, the problem is some people have been doing wrong for so long they, they don't even recognize. It, it, you, you become like the dude at, at, at McDonald's. You don't even hear the fry beeper going off anymore. My kids know I have P, uh, PTSD. I have triggers that, that, that I just I can't take noises, ticking, tapping, where it's weird. And it's crazy to me. These people, I'll be sitting in a McDonald's nine back. Beep, 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 beep. Dude just standing there talking to the dude next to him. So uh, what about that game, man? Beep, 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 beep. And I say to my kids, hey, son, you don't think they hear that beeper going off on that fry machine? How do they not hear that beeper going off on that fry machine? They've been close to it too long. It's like when I lived on the west side of Jacksonville. I grew up on the west side of Jacksonville. I grew up in the west side Marietta area near a touch-and-go airstrip. We'd be on the phone, real phone, something that hung on the wall that you stretched the cord out, made mama mad at you over. Anybody remember that? Telephone, right? We'd be on the phone trying to stretch the cord all the way somewhere comfortable sitting on the kitchen counter, you know. And when I was growing up, we on, on my side of town, we just know. You'd be talking. <laughs> you just, just hold the phone away for a minute. People on the other end are like, what is that? What is that? Just, I can't hear you. <laughs> and then you, when it stopped, you start talking on the phone again. And they didn't understand. What was that? Oh, it was just, you know, that's the sound of freedom. That's what I was raised. I was raised in a Navy home. My stepfather was ADJ-1, worked on A-7 jets. We were used to jets flying over our head. So much so, we didn't freak out. We'd sleep through it. People come over to the house, and they'd be like, does that happen often? Yeah, 20, 30 times a day. It's like people live near a train track. It'd be in a train track. Stand in the kitchen, every shelf shaking in the whole house. Dishes. <laughs> we all right? People are like, wait, talking about? Your whole house just shook. I think we had an earthquake. Oh, that's the train. You didn't hear it? Oh, I'm what? Used to it. They got used to it. McDonald's fry man got used to the beeper. Some Christians been backsliding and shabby snaking so long, they don't even hear that warning going off in their head anymore. The Bible calls it being, having your conscience seared or having your heart waxed over. You know, you put thick wax over something, you can't scratch to the surface. But for a Christian who's trying to be what God wants them to be, you ought to have that alarm system going off in your head. You ought to have that alarm system called conviction. Say conviction. Conviction is what the Holy Spirit brings to a Christian who is about to make a wrong decision or who makes a wrong decision. Listen, people and the devil 
are prone to do something to someone who makes a mistake that's not conviction, it's condemnation. And this is where many people have been shamed out of ministry. Many people have been shamed out of coming to church. Many people have been shamed out of fellowshipping with their brothers and sisters in Christ, shamed out of using their gift, shamed out of using their talents and their abilities. Why? Because they messed up. Because they proved they were human, because they were imperfect, because they relapsed, because they got drunk and everybody caught them, or they got high and everybody found out, or they, they did something. That, how could they do that? I thought they were perfect. You leave carrots out for the Easter bunny? You really? Well, I ain't gonna, we got kids in the room. I ain't going to mess with Christmas, but listen. Nobody perfect but the Lord. But people and the devil want to bring condemnation. See, condemnation and conviction come as a result of the same activity, but they're two totally different things. They come as a result of the same activity. When we're doing wrong or about to do wrong, we, we, we get conviction. When we've done wrong, we should be convicted as Christians about it. But if we don't deal with that conviction and other people find out about what we've done wrong or the enemy comes and tries to play tricks with our mind, he doesn't come with conviction. He comes with condemnation. And I've tried to teach you it's very simple to determine what, the, what is conviction and what is condemnation. Because conviction is very specific and deals with the issue. Condemnation is very broad and deals with the person. The Holy Spirit says, those words you just said were not kind. And the Father told us to be kind and tenderhearted, to let our speech always be seasoned with grace. See, that, that's conviction. It deals with an issue. Condemnation comes from the devil or the voices in your head or from uh, just hard-hearted church folk that come say, you ain't no good. If you were saved at all, you wouldn't talk like that. How can you be so mean? How, or if somebody does something wrong, they attack the person. You see, God doesn't attack your personhood. God just tells you what you did was wrong. That's conviction. Condemnation comes from the devil, and it makes you feel bad about you. You need to feel bad about the things you did wrong, but it's only the devil trying to make you feel bad about you. Are you following me? We need conviction without condemnation. And a lot of people, because they've done wrong, have been shoved out of ministry, pushed out of ministry, taking themselves out of ministry. Some of you have never even thought of yourself as being in ministry. Listen to me. If you're saved, you're in ministry. And you may be the only Bible people at your job ever see. You may be the only Christian in your realm, in your family, that people are watching. And whether you know it or not, people are watching you. And I want you to get it in your mind, if you're saved, that God has a purpose for you that you are useful to do ministry, listen, no matter how many times you have failed. If you don't get anything, I need you to get the title of this message. Failure doesn't stop you from being useful in the ministry. The Bible says a righteous man falls down six times, even seven. Now, church folk wouldn't call that person righteous. You know, Deacon West has been faithfully serving in this church for over a decade, and, and you know, best of my knowledge, I've never known him to be a stumble bum drunk. And, and neither his wife, his wife, she'd put him out. But if, 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 if something happened and somebody was like, can you believe? I'd be like, well, anybody, I mean, none of us are perfect. Well, what if he did it again? Uh, well, the Bible says a righteous man falls down. Sin. I'm not making light on sin. I'm not making easy on sin. But I don't want us to stop condemning people and shaming people and causing people to have guilt and let God deal with people over their issues. That doesn't make somebody unrighteous because the Bible says uh, the keeping of the law will make nobody justified. We're not justified because we live perfect lives. We're justified. We're made right with God because we believe that his son died on the cross from us and defeated death, hell, and the grave. So it's a faith thing. It doesn't mean we don't strive to live good lives. I preach holiness. I believe God wants you to be holy. I believe the best way for you to be blessed by the Father is to live a life of holiness and to obey what God says. He said, I'll give you a choice. If you obey me, I'll bless you. And if you don't, I won't. But we've come to the place in, in this generation where if somebody gets caught, being, it seems every week some pastor is getting fired. Listen, if you knew everything about everybody in the whole world, we know pastors. Yeah. 
Nobody in this Bible that ever did anything good for the Lord except Jesus could even pass through a pastor search committee today. That's how churches, uh, denominational churches, hire people. We don't hire pastors at Abundant Life. We, we trust God to bring them in. We, and we trust God when it's time, he'll bring them out. But in denominational churches, they put together a pastoral search committee as folk with money and high criticism. And they want to smoke this dude over. They want to look at his resume, his resume. And if they're going to pay him more than $9 a week, he better have at least a master's of divinity, which takes 30 more hours than any other master's degree on the planet other than engineering. So, and he better have lived just, he better been lily white from day one, and he better not have no scratches on his resume. I don't think we want this one. Could you imagine any of these cats from the Bible? Here's the Apostle Peter. All right? Preached on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Ghost fell. Thousands of people got saved. Average church looking at him? Hmm. Mm, I don't know. They ain't got no education. Fisherman. I thought I smelled something on him, too. Probably drinks a little bit. Uh, what? Denied Jesus? Walked away from God, didn't even show up at the cross, next. And we are so quick to next people based on their imperfection. Listen, you ought to just go ahead and take it in your mind right now that everybody in this room is capable of sinning and letting you down. Then you don't have to be astonished when somebody does something. I thought she was supposed to be a Christian. Well, I thought you were supposed to be a Christian. This is never to make light on sin. You need to quit fornicating. You need to quit whoring around. You need to quit drinking and smoking and cussing and, and, and living ungodly. You need to start reading your Bible, saying your prayers, paying your tithes, serving in the church. But when you fall short, you don't need to think that God is through with you. I heard a pastor preach one time, and I promise you, I almost walked out on the title. He announced the title and went to pray. I looked around. I thought, I ain't staying for this bad teaching. He read the scripture, announced the title. He said, God only uses backsliders. And I thought, mm, no, God don't use backsliders. Backslider and heart filled with his own ways. Backsliders on the chastening hand of the Lord. Back, backslider would be dealt with. God is angry with the wicked every day. And I got a thousand scriptures running through my head saying, mm, 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 God ain't using backsliders. But then he went on much wiser than me, much, much more mature than, than I am. And he showed that every one of us at some point in our life will slide back from where we were or where we're going because the only perfect person is Christ. We're not talking about loose living. We're talking about don't let the devil chase you away from being useful to God. The book of the month, I put it out on social media yesterday, the book of the month for October is the book of Mark, which is not random or coincidence that it follows Matthew. We're going through the Gospels. We've been talking about the Gospels a lot. Um, I told you that God wrote the Bible. If someone says, who wrote the book of Hebrews? That's the largest theological debate on the authorship of these 66 books. Who wrote the book of Hebrews? You'll get great preachers, great theologians that will tell you that this dude wrote it, that that dude wrote it. Most books in the Bible are readily identifiable by the author, but if anybody ever got you in a theological debate and asked you who wrote the book of Hebrews, you can always be safe by giving this answer, God. God wrote the Bible. A lot of people in today's society would tell you this book is just a collection of stories written down by men um, about what they think about God. But this book says of itself that these words are tried and true and they were spoken by God to holy men who wrote down what God said. If I, if I told Deacon Henry and Nixon right now, y'all take out a pen and write this down. After church, we're going to all go eat lunch together. And they wrote that down. They may have been the one that moved the pen, but they were writing down what I spoke. God is the author of Matthew. God is the author of Mark. God's the author of Luke. God is the author of John. But as he used 39 different men to write the 66 books in the Bible, he allowed them to put their perspective on it. If you were to write down a summation of what you saw in the parking lot before you came into church this morning, different people might focus on different things. If you saw a car wreck or if you saw me fall off this stage right now 
and you had to write your account of it. Some people might say he stepped off with his left foot. Some people might just say he fell. Well, if I stepped off with my left foot and I fell, both people would be telling the truth. And so we see this in the Gospels. We see this telling of the story of Christ in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But each writer takes on his own look at it. And I've shown you this chart before. We'll go through it quickly because I want to talk to you today about Mark. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four Gospels. They're the accounts of the life of Jesus Christ. And Matthew portrays Christ as the promised king. Mark portrays Christ as the servant of God. Luke portrays Christ as a perfect man, and John portrays Christ as the son of God. Matthew writes his book like he's a teacher. Mark writes like he's a preacher. Luke writes like a historian, and John writes like a theologian. Matthew's emphasis is on Jesus' sermons. Mark's emphasis is on Jesus' miracles. Luke's emphasis on Jesus' parables, and John's emphasis was on Jesus' doctrines. So if you're a sermon person, you're going to dig Matthew. If you're a miracle person, you're going to dig Mark. If you're a parable person, you're going to dig Luke. If you're a doctrine person, you're going to dig John. Matthew wrote primarily to the Jews. Mark wrote primarily to the Romans. Luke wrote to the Greeks, and John wrote to the whole world. Matthew's theme is Jesus is the Messiah that was predicted in the Old Testament prophecy. Mark's theme is Jesus backed up his words with action. Luke's theme is the compassion and humanity of Jesus. We'll see that next month. Luke was a doctor. Of course, he's going to write with that outlook. John's theme is the deity of Christ. Matthew portrays Jesus as the promised king. Mark portrays Christ as the servant of God. Luke portrays Christ as the perfect man. And John portrays Christ as the son of God. Now, that's the fourfold look at the varied approach to the gospel. But we're reading the book of Mark. This month, so let's look at how Mark does all these things. Let's let's concise it down in the next slide and see what I just told you. As we only focus on Mark, Mark's gospel portrays Christ as the servant of God. We're all servants of God. Every one of us that claims the name of Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, you're a servant of God. Mark writes like a preacher. Mark is that guy who likes movies for guy who likes movies. He see the difference between preaching and teaching is preaching is more animated because preaching is designed to cause you to make a decision. Teaching is more fact-based and technical because teaching is designed to disseminate facts and information. Mark writes like a preacher. His emphasis is on miracles. He's writing to the Romans, and his theme is that Jesus backed up his words with actions. We just got through reading the book of Matthew as a church together. Hopefully some of y'all read the book of Matthew with me this month. And it has the most chapters of any of the four Gospels. I told you when we were studying Matthew that if someone asked you what's the longest Gospel, um, the chapter answer is Matthew. But the technical answer is Luke. Luke has more words in it, but Matthew has more chapters. The shortest without technical any variation at all is by far Mark's gospel. So if you want a quick look with lots of action, Mark is going to be the gospel that is going to excite you the most. So let's see what else we can find out about Mark. Say Mark. Mark is still a common name today. Anybody in the room named Mark? I don't know. I don't know if we got anybody in the room named Mark. Anybody got anybody in their family named Mark? Anybody ever met a dude named Mark? Anybody just so denominational you wouldn't raise your hand if I pointed a gun at you and said, put your hands up? All right, I got you. Mark in the Bible is also called John Mark. He's Barnabas' cousin, uh, and so we got to find out who, who Barnabas is. Mark, before we get to Barnabas, was also a close friend and was led to Christ by Peter. So Mark writes a gospel after being led to Christ by Peter. He accompanied Peter on many of Peter's travels, so Mark is a really connected dude. You want to be connected. I, I see Jeff wearing one of our orange shirts today that says, get connected on it. What, one of our hopes as a church is that you would not only get connected to God, but get connected to the people of God and what God is doing in the earth. Mark was connected. He was connected to God. He was connected to the people of God. He had biological family that were doing great things for Christ in his uh, uncle Barnabas and he had friends who had led him to Christ that he was working with listen how, how do we know that he's related to Barnabas Colossians 4:10 says 
Aristarchus, who is in prison with me, sends you his greetings, and so does Mark, Barnabas' cousin, as you were instructed. Therefore, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. So Mark is related by blood. Barnabas' sister's son, I don't know how that makes him a cousin, but whatever, is Barnabas' sister's son. What's your sister's son to you? How did he be a cousin? This is going to get deep on y'all now. How, how can you be an auntie and a grandmother to the same people? West Virginia. Georgia. Uh, y'all mad at me about Georgia now because some of y'all from Georgia. Read the clerk of court's website in Georgia for marriage licenses, and it will tell you that in Georgia, marriage is legal between first cousins. Not so much so in Florida, but in Georgia and West Virginia. But anyway, there was a little bit of family ties going on to how his sister's son was uncle and cousin, but he had family, say family. So this dude we call Mark, whose real name was John Mark, his official government name was John Mark, his, he was related to Barnabas. Well, who's Barnabas? Barnabas is a connected dude who is also an apostle. See, many people think there are only 12 apostles in the Bible, but the Bible names many other people as apostles, and there's still apostles in the world today. But Barnabas was a dude who had money. Say money. Barnabas gave lots of money to the 12 apostles and to the first foundation of the early church in Jerusalem. How do I know? Because the Bible tells me. In Acts 4.36, the Scripture says, For instance, there was Joseph, one of the apostles nicknamed Barnabas. Now, let me see how many Bible geniuses and people who can read with comprehension. There was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas. So Barnabas was a nickname for a man whose real name was what? A lot of names to keep straight in the Bible. So you got this dude, Joseph, who the other apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was a friendly guy. He was an encouraging guy. He had lots of money, and he gave it to the apostles to do ministry. He was from the tribe of Levi and from the island of Cyprus. Verse 37 says he sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. So Barnabas was an apostle. He was from the right family. He came from money. He owned land. He sold a piece of field. He gave it to the apostles because it takes money to do ministry. But not only was he all that, but he was the guy that gave Paul the hookup. See, in life still today in 2016, sometimes it's not what you know, it's what? It's who you know. And Paul, prior to being converted, was scandalous. Paul, government name was Saul. And he went around hating on Christians. He didn't like Jesus because Jesus said, I come to bring a new way. Paul was an old school Jew. And he went around putting people in jail who were following Jesus. He went around serving death warrants on people who were in jail. Now, could you imagine this pulpit search committee looking for a new dude? Well, here's a guy. Paul comes from Tarsus, formerly called Saul. Uh, prior to, well, a couple years ago, he was working for the Roman government, executing Christians and killing Christians. Is this the guy we want pastor in our church? <laughs> Paul became overseer and bishop over churches that had family in those churches who had lost mothers and family members to Paul's hand as an executioner. Well, I don't know if I can receive from pastor. You know, he ain't all the way together. I didn't kill your mama. I didn't lock Aunt T up in prison. See, this is the challenge that Paul had before him doing ministry. And the apostles, Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, brother John, Philip, Thomas, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, Judas, and Bartholomew, didn't want anything to do with Saul of Tarsus. They didn't trust Paul. Because his resume didn't look just right. His resume was not, not what they wanted to see. This dude was not the guy they wanted to be with. But Barnabas was in their favor. They loved Barnabas and they trusted Barnabas. And Barnabas got Paul the hookup. In Acts 9, 
See, Acts 9 comes after Acts 4. In Acts 4, Barnabas sold some land and gave a bunch of money to the apostles. So you know he's solid with them now. You don't trust me? Go ahead and sell everything you got and give all the money to somebody. You be solid with them too. They'll open the door for you when you knock. They'll take, your, they'll take most of your calls on caller ID. That's chapter 4. Come down to chapter 9. The Bible says, when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him, and they did not believe he had truly become a believer. Do you get that? The apostle Paul, who God used to write half of the New Testament, the apostle Paul, who was the most gifted, anointed man on the planet, the apostle Paul, who God used greatly, wasn't even, they didn't even believe he was saved. They're like, mm, he can't be my preacher. I don't trust him. I don't believe in him. I, I, uh, they wouldn't even, the Bible said they wouldn't even extend to him the right hand of Christian fellowship. They wouldn't, they wouldn't even give this dude a pound. But in verse 27, the Bible says, Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So here's the story about Barnabas. Barnabas gives a lot of money to the apostles. The apostles don't like Paul because before he got saved, he was doing scandalous things. The apostle Paul is trying to get to know the other apostles so they can do ministry together, and they won't let him in the door. Do you know there are people that wouldn't even take your phone call? There are people that would look at you because of your resume and say, I don't want to hang with you. But if you get a friend who believes in you, they can get you to hook up. They've been ducking Paul's call for a while, but Barnabas calls them and says they were coming over, and, of course, they're going to lay out the red carpet for Barnabas because he's an apostle with money, and he brings Paul with them, and he tells them, look, Paul just as saved as all of us, and this is how Paul began to do ministry in the first century. So Barnabas and Paul were close. They traveled together. They ministered together. But listen, something happened between them. Everybody in this room that's been at more than one church New people that you was at church with before that you ain't at church with now. Because you're here. Some of them you might still like. Some of them you might still trust. Some of them you might still eat barbecue with. Some of them you might still have on your Christmas list. And others of them, you see caller ID, you just hit cancel. Discard. Send to VM. Or block. Some of y'all so scandalous, blocking people on Facebook. What are you, five? Are you seriously five? Yeah, you blocking people on Facebook. Don't you know they, they got their, their, their cousin's Facebook password and they're still stalking you from their cousin's page that you ain't blocked yet? There are people, listen to how stupid people are. There are people who have blocked me as, as their former pastor but have left my sister on their page who works for me in the office next to mine who check I sign. Not really. I don't, she signs all the checks, but I, I authorize it. I don't sign checks. Don't, 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 don't deal with preachers that sign their own check. That's trouble. They're going to block me and leave her on there. Listen. They, they had blocked Paul off. But when Barnabas brought him in, they had to realize, well, maybe we were wrong. I want you to consider you might be wrong about some people you've crossed off. And there might be some people wrong for having crossed you off. Now, there's two sides to every coin. You might be right about having crossed some folk off. But you know they're still wrong for crossing you off. Amen? Hallelujah. Let's keep rolling. Paul and Barnabas were, were preachers. They were traveling preachers. They were apostles. They traveled together. They did missionary journeys. Listen, okay, Acts 4, Barnabas gives money, gets the hook up. Acts 9, he gets Paul to hook up with the other apostles. Acts 15, verse 35, Paul and also and Barnabas continued to Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And some days after, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go again. Say again. And visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. They had already gone on this missionary trip, gone to all these different cities, and preached, led people to Christ, got brothers and sisters, built relationships, and they're like, hey, man, let's do this. Let's go 
to every city we preached at before, let's take a second missionary trip, and let's go see how the how, how brothers and sisters in Christ are doing all around all these cities that we already preached in. Verse 37 says, Barnabas was determined to take with him John, whose surname is Mark. So here we got, you know, Barnabas got two names. Uh, Barnabas and what else? Y'all forgot. Joseph. Mark's got two names. Mark and what else? Or sometimes John Mark. You know he was country because that's only, they, they throw both your names, Ellie Mae, Bobby Sue, Ricky Bobby, you, you eat grits somewhere in there. Listen, John Mark, Barnabas was determined to take with them John Mark. Verse 38 starts with the word but. Sometimes a but can be a good thing if it's changing from bad to good. Sometimes a but can be a bad thing. But Paul thought not good to take him with them. Paul didn't like that idea. Barnabas is like, yo, I'm taking my sister's son, cousin, nephew, whatever he is, I'm taking him with us, uh, you know, because he went with us on the last trip. But Paul thought not good to take him with them because he departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. Here's the skinny. These three dudes go on a missionary trip. It gets tight. Folk getting locked up in jail. It's cold. They're hungry. They're going through trouble. And guess what John Mark did? He dipped. <laughs> Hung deuces and left. I ain't going to jail with y'all. I'm tired of being hungry. And this missionary trip wasn't as fun as the church brochure made it out to sound. And he left them in harm's way. And he left them to deal with governmental abuse. And he left them. He cowardly walked out on them. Listen, three of us going to a joint, you know, we're supposed to be down. We're supposed to have each other's back. And all of a sudden, we look around, and you left? Yeah, you ain't going on the second trip. That's what Paul said. Paul said, no, nah, I don't think that's a good idea. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't abide with cowards and, and, and flakes and people who run out. Uh, he already failed the test, and he's off, he's off my list. I done blocked him from Facebook and deleted him and shut him down and everything else. Verse 39 says, the contention was so, so sharp between them. Talking about Paul and Barnabas. They're arguing on this thing. We're taking Barnabas. No, we ain't. We're taking Barnabas. That's, that's, that's my cousin, nephew, son, brother, sisters, brother-in-law, son. That's my boy. He's coming. He ain't coming with us. I don't trust him. I trust him. I speak up for him. I spoke for you. You wouldn't even know Peter, James, and John if I hadn't got you to hook up. Now, I say he's coming. Well, Paul said, hey, that was then. This is today. I'm the big rider in this club right now, and I say he ain't coming. Sharp contention. Y'all know church folk can get like that. But I didn't think spiritual folk argued that much. Well, these people had sharp contention. And they departed asunder one from the other. So John Mark hung deuces in the missionary trip. Paul and Barnabas hanging deuces on each other. Like, good luck to you. You and your, you and your John Mark, coward, traitor. Backsliding failure. And they departed from each other. And Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Verse 40 says, and Paul chose Silas. Well, Silas has been waiting in the wing trying to get in the club anyway. So this is how it's Paul and Silas. And they write songs about Paul and Silas. Give me that old-time religion. It was good for Paul and Silas. Y'all don't remember that. But this is how Paul, listen, Silas got in the club. Because Paul wasn't taking John Mark with him. And the brethren recommended Silas to Paul, so he took him. I guess his resume passed Paul's tough standard. He just didn't know enough about Silas at the time because everybody let you down. Verse 41, and they went through Syria and Cilicia confirming the churches. So here we got Paul and Silas. Barnabas and Mark, they go in different directions, but they're both doing the work of the Lord. I hope to God, tell them I said so, that everybody that ever deleted me or deleted you, everybody that ever broke fellowship, had sharp contention, divided asunder, I hope 
that we will go on doing ministry to the glory of God. And I hope that they will get off their backside and do ministry to the glory of God as well. You ain't always going to be with who you're with. Some people came for a reason. Others just came for a season. And Paul and Barnabas Barnabas season ran up. And now it's Paul and Silas. So here we see that Mark is a problem causer. This dude that wrote the second gospel is causing problems in the church. He's failed. He's a coward. He's run out. He embarrassed himself. He's got the head of the whole deal, the chief apostle, telling people, I ain't taking him on my bus. He can't ride with me. He don't make my cut. He don't make my grade. Paul saw Mark as a failure and a coward. Listen, but something happened. Something happened. Remember, I told you in the title that, that, you, you, uh, that you don't have to let stop being useful just because you messed up. Failure doesn't stop you from being useful in ministry if something happens. And something happened to John Mark. Something happened in his life. And something happened to Paul. See, Mark went with Barnabas, and they're leading people to Christ, and they're serving the Lord in the church on one side of the earth, while Paul and Silas on the other side of the world doing the same thing, but they're all serving God. And listen to what happens to people who have division, people who separate, who keep serving God. They get over it. And they just keep on loving the Lord. You find somebody still mad about something, still jaw. Listen, if you go out to lunch today and you're still talking about how much you can't stand them folk at the church you left nine years ago, you need to let something happen to you. You need to get over it and move forward. Because that's what happened with Paul, and that's what happened with John Mark. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul's writing his second letter to Timothy, and he says, Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Paul's locked up in prison. See, because all great men of God go to jail. I could give you a list, but you know who they are. Um, Paul's in prison. He's telling Timothy, man, could you come see your brother? Come as soon as you can. Getting cold, wintertime's coming, Paul's near the end of his life, and he says in verse 10, Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. I've heard people say, oh, well, you shouldn't name names, Reverend. You shouldn't call out who, who, who they are. Uh, Demas has deserted me. Well, you shouldn't tell their business because he loves this life materialist. Christians has gone to Galatia and Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Paul's like, listen, I'm about to die. All these people have bailed out on me. I can remember all the way back to Mark cowarded out on me back when I was running with Barnabas. Now all these flakes have dipped. Verse 11, he says, only Luke is with me. And then he says this, bring Mark with you when you come. For he is useful to me in the ministry. See, I wish everybody could feel what Michelle said. Paul, loving the Lord, having problems with people, loving the Lord, serving God to the end, fell out with Mark, fell out with Barnabas, went on, kept serving God. More than a decade has passed. And he tells Timothy, who is the closest thing to Paul in life, he says, man, bring Mark with you when you come. You come to jail to see me, bring, bring John Mark. Go get that boy and, and, and tell him to come with you because he is useful to me in the ministry. Well, what happened to his messed up resume? What happened to his failure? Didn't he run out? All those things are still true. Didn't he mess up you and Barnabas? Didn't he put y'all out of ministry together? Y'all shut down y'all's church and had to go in separate ways, make new alliances, make new foundations, go and... You know, you you showing up. Now, think about it, because Paul and Barnabas go start all these churches on their first missionary trip, lead all these people to Christ, and, and then Paul shows up with his dude Silas, and they're like, where Barnabas? Oh, well, he's up the road. Barnabas shows up, and people are like, where Paul? Well, he's down the road. Save people who keep serving the Lord get over stuff. Paul has gotten over his issue with Barnabas. He's gotten over his issue with the one who caused the issue with Barnabas. And he tells Timothy, bring Mark with you because I see usefulness in him. 
And I want you to know that even though people may cross you off, it may take a while to get over it, and they may never get over it, God always sees usefulness in his children. See, your child might do something in front of a room full of people, and people might just look at your child and think, hmm, well, if that was mine. And they might make all type of assessment about your child. But you're still going to let that child live in your home. You're still going to let that child eat your food. You want to know when, when parents change their mind about bad behavior? You want to know when parents say, I would never let that child live in my house. You want to know when they change their mind about that type stuff? When their child does it. And then they're faced with, that's still my girl. That's still my son. That's still my daughter. And you don't throw your children away. And God doesn't throw his children away no matter how grievous the error is. And listen, people who love God and grow and mature don't throw each other away. There are people who've thrown you away. You need to let go of that hurt and move on and keep serving God. Your end is coming one day, and you need to be faithful to the end. Paul was being faithful to the end. He said, bring Mark with me because he is useful in ministry. Paul sees value in somebody he used to not see value in, and I want you to get it. Failure doesn't stop you from being useful. Everybody who ever served God failed except Jesus. Everybody who ever served God failed and had people cut them loose except Jesus. But I want you to know that there is forgiveness and there is reconciliation and there is recovery in Christ, which leads to usefulness. Why is usefulness so important? Because if you, if you don't believe that your life has usefulness, you can't have purpose. And if your life doesn't have purpose, then you just hear random. And if you just hear random, then you just really don't have value. And if you don't have value, what's the sense in even sticking around? And then when you get to add all those things up in your mind, the enemy has a playground in your head that he can attack and say, because you did this, because you did that, and because everybody knows that you can never be the man that you thought God was going to use you to be. You can never serve God the way you thought God was going to let you be a woman of God. People put titles on men and women that they don't deserve, but that everybody should recognize for their own life. Man of God, woman of God. Now, you know, in the, in the deep urban church, it's not man of God. What is it? Man of God. The man of God. I'm not really sure where that D came from. But they put, listen, every man in this room who's a Christian, you should be a man of God. Every woman in this room who's a Christian, you should value yourself and see yourself as a woman of God. You don't have to see yourself through the eyes of your failure. You don't have to see yourself through the eyes of what other people say about you. You don't even have to see yourself through what you know to be true about you because God sees you through the eyes of a loving father, through a forgiving father, a father who is determined to keep his children. And I told you that failure doesn't mean you can't be useful because there's recovery and there's reconciliation, and that's God's plan. The Bible says God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. But everybody don't make that cut. And you got a choice to make this morning. You've got a choice to make this morning. Do you want to be useful in ministry? Do you want to recover? Do you want to overcome? Do you want to put the past in the past? Or do you want to stay on the outside? Because everybody doesn't make a comeback. John Mark made a comeback. God received him immediately. It took Paul a while. You come back, God received you immediately. Mean Hard-headed church folk, they may never fully welcome you back, but you don't have to worry about them because the only judge you have is God. But everybody doesn't make a comeback. This is the choice you have to make because if you continue reading in the same chapter, in verse 13, Paul says, when you come, be sure to bring that coat I left at Carpus with Troas. <laughs> Carpus ain't around no more either, but Paul wants his coat back. 
message there. He said, also bring my books and especially my papers. His books were just books, but his papers were his copies of the prophet's words, his Bible. The old man of God dying in prison still wanted to be able to hold that paper and turn that page and read what God said. He said in verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me harm, much harm, but the Lord will judge him for what he's done. Everybody doesn't make a recovery. Alexander messed with Paul too much. Paul gave him over into the Lord's hand. That's what you need to do with folks. Stop having them for lunch. Stop having them for dinner. Realize no matter what they've done to you, God will get them. Believe what the old folk used to say. You can talk about me just as much as you please. I'm going to talk about you how? On my knees. God can do a better job straightening out people than we can. And bitterness and unforgiveness paralyze you. And they bring problems on you. They bring physical problems, emotional problems. Everybody in this room, been, you'd be shocked at the number of people that have been raped in this room. The number of people that have been molested in this room. The number of people who've been abandoned in this room. The number of people who've been incarcerated in this room. The number of people who have committed murder in this room. Somebody's going to come to me and say, who was it? Because I thought she had that look in her eye. You are not the only one. We are all failures at some level against perfection. But God sees us as his children who he loves and he doesn't give up on. And I want you to believe that God hasn't given up on you. You got to choose, though, to make a recovery. Alexander didn't choose that. Paul put him out there. He said in verse 15, be careful of him, for he fought against everything we said. See, here's the difference between John Mark and Alexander. John Mark fell out, made a comeback, kept serving God. Alexander fell out and is fighting against the message of the God. He's, he's fighting against everything that Paul taught them. There's a difference between somebody who messed up and somebody who's out there messing up. And that's the choice we all have to make because we're all going to mess up. But you get to choose. Do you stay out there messing up or do you make a comeback? Do you stay out there messing up or do you fall on the mercy of God and repent? Because the good news is we're all only one prayer away from being totally right with God and ready for ministry. Because God said if we confess our sins, he'll forgive us of our sins and cleanse us, listen, from all unrighteousness. People might not see you as totally clean, but if you ask God to cleanse you, you are totally clean. People might not see you as a man of God, but only God is your judge. People might not see you as a woman of God. People might remember your past. People might think they know something about you. See, but that's only people who don't understand the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God. I remember when I first got saved, people said, oh, he's just doing that now. I know him. I had family say, and, and, and a lot of times your family would be the hardest ones to convince that you truly love the Lord. Because in their head, no, I know her. No, you knew her. She got something new. You knew him. He got something new. And you have a choice to make. Do you want, because you're going to mess up. I'm not condoning it. I'm just being real about it. You're going to stumble. You're going to fall. They're called traps and snares for a reason. You're going to trip on something in this life, and you're going to fall down. But you have a choice to make. Are you going to stay out there fighting against what God is doing? Or are you going to be like the gospel writer of the second gospel, Mark? And are you going to dust yourself off from your failure, and you're going to say, you know what? I still got usefulness in me. I still got a few good days left. I still got a charge to keep and a God to glorify. I still got a mission or God would have took me out already. I got a purpose for being here and God is not finished with me. 
You need to realize that you are somebody. You need to realize that you are a child of God and he has a purpose for your life. See, I, I thank God. People, people like Donald, know, you know a lot about purpose and passion and, and mission and identifying what God wants for your life. And I, I love that uh, about you. And people who've already connected and get it, Coach, you know what you want to do. You know what, what drives you, what, what, what motivates you, what you're good at, what God puts you on this planet to do. And I love, I love when people know what it is they're supposed to be about because until you get connected to what it is you're supposed to be about, you're just drifting. But you got to realize God put you here so you could love him and love people. And the talents and the gifts that you have have been given to you for a purpose. And the, the fact that you blew it and you messed up and you failed, you scandalized, you did some wrong stuff, that's everybody. Everybody just don't put it on the front page of their resume. But you got a choice to make. Are you going to be Mark or are you going to be Alexander? Because Mark got up and kept going. Alexander stayed out there where he was. I want you to get up and keep going. I want you to get up and keep going. I want you to believe that because you are still here, God's not finished with you. Because I make you this promise. The day God is done with you, he will take you off this planet. But as long as you're here, as long as you still have breath, you are still useful to God in ministry. And if you'll keep serving God long enough, even your biggest critics, the Apostle Paul, finally had to come around over a decade later and say, you know what? Get Mark over here. It's time for us to hook back up. And it's time for you to hook back up with God, serving God. Some of you have never really fully locked in. I want to encourage you, come out Saturday and prayer walk with us. Learn how to be the man, the woman God wants you to be. I don't like getting up on Saturday. Me neither. But we have a God to glorify. We had to move somebody last week because we're, we're a working church and somebody needed help. And people showed up to help them. And it took longer than expected. But you know what? They did it. Why? Because we have a God to serve. We have a life that God has given us. And I want you to get connected to what God wants you to do. My mother in her senior years now. My mother's been a hard worker her whole life. It bothers her to have to sit back and watch other people work. Let me say something to people. Whether it's like me coming off of back surgery, still having issues, or if old age is slowing you down, listen, it don't mean you stop serving God. You're just not the one to stack chairs anymore. You remember when we were stacking these chairs, Mike? When we first came in, that build, in this building, when that me and you? In the very back right here, we were coming in this building. My back was bad. But, you know, we're working church. We're moving into the building, rolling these chairs in. I went to grab a stack of chairs, back locked up. Mike told me, Pastor, we got this. Listen, you might not be the chair grabber anymore, but you can still pray. You can still encourage. You might be able to write a check. You might be able to sing a song. You might be able to play an instrument. You might be able to just smile at somebody. But whatever it is that you can do, I want you to stop being Alexander and start being John Mark. Stop sitting back because everything's not perfect in your life and realize it doesn't matter that I've blown it. God knew I wasn't going to be perfect when he saved me. But he's perfect. And he has a reason for me being here. I want you to find out what that reason is, and I want you to get involved with it. Until you find out what it is, just start doing stuff. Sometimes you got to try a couple different things. Listen, show up on Saturday, 10 to 12, food and clothing, 9.30, show up. Set out this food and clothing. Pray with people who are hurting. Share Christ with people who need food and clothes. You might find it's your greatest passion. Come, show up. Stop by the church one day and just pick trash up. You might find out one of the greatest joys you have in life is just walking around church, picking up trash. Take a turn working in the nursery. Go over on a Wednesday night with Deacon Keon. Go over with Lauren and work with these teenagers. Get a hamburger. 
Get, get, get a piece of chicken, whatever they're serving, and sit back and, and, and see if maybe teenagers is your thing. Listen, take a turn in the nursery with the babies. You'll find out real quick if that's your thing. Finish out your shift and then just let them know. I'm going to go work with senior adults. God has a purpose for you. I want you to do it. You still got life to live. Get on living it. Stop letting the world distract you. Stop, stop, stop getting caught up in politics and race and hate and division. Stop getting caught up in what everybody else is doing. And you realize God put me on this earth and he's my only judge. And let's get busy making our God happy. Can we agree on that? Pray with me. God, thank you for loving us and never giving up on us. God, I pray you'd connect us to our purpose and our passion and use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We truly appreciate the opportunity to pour into your lives each week. For more information or to donate to Abundant Life's ministry, please check out our website at www.alcfnow.org. Until next time, we pray that you will live abundantly.